0: Transit Voices with Ben Whittaker. Welcome to Transit Voices, a podcast with me, Ben Whittaker, from Masabi, and we'll be talking to a number of people from the transit technology, payments and fare collection space to find out about the latest interesting movements, people's new experiences rolling out tech, and their ideas for what the future will bring. Today is our first podcast together with David Leininger veteran of the industry who's worked both on the financial and operational side of a number of agencies, most notably at Dart in Dallas. Today we're speaking about real cost savings by removing legacy, both legacy equipment and operations, his love of using lightweight off-the-shelf equipment that should come in more into our space, and how we might be able to speed up the buses, as well as shrinking underutilized services, making better use of new mobility like on-demand and dematerialization. Without further ado, let's meet with David. Now, let's get talking. It's good to see you again. It must be at least two years since we've met in person. Yeah, that's Um, true. Pandemics do that, you know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They they have a way of interfering, uh, for sure. But uh, as it worked out, somebody told me, well, I didn't have any excuse when Dart asked me to come back and be their interim CEO for about, it was about a little bit less than a year. So that's how I occupied most of my time, this last, in 21. So 22 is, is turning out to be a little
0: bit better. It's great to be called in for that kind of favor. To drop in as president after such a tenure as CFO is, is fantastic. It was flattering,
1: uh, uh, obviously, and, and better than having been unceremoniously booted, for sure. I'm, I'm doing a little bit of help for another small agency here. They, they literally lost all their executives about three or four months ago. So everybody's operating as an interim. So I'm, I stepped in for the next couple of months on a part-time basis as an interim CFO, just helping pay their bills. Which agency is that? the DCTA, Denton County Transit Authority. It's one of the three transit agencies here. It's the smallest of the three. Uh, they do have a uh, commuter rail operation. DART leased them a 21-mile section of rail, and then they built that uh, about 10 years ago. They have a large university, uh, probably Forty thousand student in a town called Denton, and then they have this computer rail line. But things are changing. It's a rapidly area, growing area of the region. So uh, over time, I think they'll probably do fine. So, so I'm obviously keeping my toe in the transit business. Uh, Not totally. uh, Again, this was another thing where uh, I I was invited to attend, and it's a little hard to tell somebody no when they really do need the help. So hasn't been too bad. And I'm you know I'm dabbling in some other things. I'm able to travel again, doing some things. Things like that. And it sounds like you all are continuing to reach out in the world and establish your global dominance. Maybe not
0: dominance, but uh, I certainly like our way of doing business is getting spread to some more continents, reaching as far as Australia and Japan out to the east. And all the way up to uh, Alaska and the West. I was really fascinated by the one agency you're
1: dealing with. They've taken all the fare boxes off the off the bus fleet. I wondered when someone would do that, and it, it made sense to me. There would be a mid mid-sized or a little bit smaller agency where they just felt that they probably had a big university base, and the, and so their cash collections was something they could probably manage. But anyway, I was I was happy to see that. I. My view in this is, and I've talked to our folks, you know, I'm doing some work with that, told you with Unwire again, on a thought leadership area, talking about uh, what's the rest of the story. But I've always been a CFO. uh, I'm always focused on, are you adding value? I mean, some things need to disappear that you previously been doing. Otherwise, you're just layering one payment technology on top of another. So if you don't take some things away, you're not actually reducing the cost of payment for the agency, you know, mobile is a superior way for payment and notifications and so forth. So that's value added in and of itself. But but there is a dollar amount associated with this. So I'm really always pleased when I see somebody making the decision to figure out how to remove costs as well as to layer things in. Because, you know, it's no question that mobile and integrating with network payment networks is less costly than cash. But that's only if you get rid of cash. I mean, if you still have the fare boxes and, you know, in the central money changing and money counting room and all that, you got fixed costs that you really haven't made disappear. But It was
0: Dayton, Ohio, who've been the uh, the, the brave first, who've come in and said they're satisfied with the provision of alternate cash interaction points for those people who don't have smartphones
1: that have smartphones,
0: don't have bank cards, or aren't using the uh, reloadable account-based smart card that they're offering. You've hit the nail on the head by saying, you know, when you add new technologies, which in themselves cost less per ticket to sell, you don't really hit the big savings until you start peeling away the fixed costs of right. the uh, traditional physical and media-centric ticketing. But there's another thing that I think people like Dayton are really uh, targeting, which is it's not just the capital and operating cost of all of that activity around you know, dealing with the cash. It's also the massive slowdown on the vehicle. One of our customers, Preston Bus in the United Kingdom, did an assessment on the boarding speed on a bus for passengers who are buying with cash as they board. There was somewhere... 9, 10, 11, 12 seconds. And those who were just tapping a bank card or using a mobile ticket or any pre purchased ticket, they were boarding in just less than two seconds. Yeah. So there's kind of a 5x speed up when you get people to, through any method, buy before they board. And the advantages on that are just phenomenal, especially at uh, rush hour because every time the bus gets to a new stop, everybody on the bus has to wait all of those extra seconds while everybody who boards is paying in mm-hmm. cash and it's slowing the vehicle down. If you get so, everybody to board with a pre purchased ticket, whether it's a mobile ticket or a bank card or a preloaded ticket or a receipt paper pass that boarded a convenience store network, then all of them are boarding in under two seconds. And it means the entire bus goes back into traveling. One of the
1: criticisms of bus traffic is that because you're in the middle of traffic and the traffic blows, so anything you do to extend time is, is a negative. Of course, when you're referencing areas that have very high ridership and uh, so forth, then these kinds of boarding times become hugely important. Uh, mm-hmm. In mid-sized markets, uh, where you really don't have that very often, you really have to look at some other benefits to really make it all make sense. Uh, the power of the mobile platform in terms of not just payments, but also notifications and messaging and real time to your customers, which is a huge convenience. One of the big issues that we see, is, uh, certainly I've seen across the country, is you know weather is such a factor and letting people know What the issues are. It's not only traffic, but weather can rear up its ugly head in a matter of minutes sometimes. And so it affects ridership and and bus routes and all that. Just getting messages and notifications out, there's just a lot of capabilities. I'm getting interested now in in some additional things that are associated with uh, the driver app and the integration of bus driver apps and really going with what I'm going to call an AVL light application that doesn't require the very expensive hardware and integration you see. There's just a lot of things that, frankly, smaller agencies have an opportunity to leapfrog bigger agencies in terms of their utilization of smart technology. So that's my pitch and I'm
0: sticking to it. I mean, there's so many situations where a consumer grade or lightly industrialized tablet or cell phone can do a lot of work. We've seen them being used very effectively in paratransit and dial ride, where you don't need a whole bus MDT, mobile data terminal with you know, right. the huge uh, temperature ranges. You can just clip into a vehicle holder, a, a tablet and have it do that and have something that you could just replace from from Walmart if it, if it goes, because it doesn't have a huge complex onboarding process to install an app and log it in. Exactly. Um, now, now, the other thing that's, uh, that's happening and it's happening at a pretty
1: rapid pace, I was surprised, the shift to on-demand for ex-urban areas You know, DART started removing fixed transit from some of their outer areas of the service area and replacing that with on-demand. And it's a mix of modes. It's using Uber, Lyft, uh, uh, small shuttles, and so forth. More and more agencies are beginning to look at that real seriously. And it's interesting, DCTA, as a matter of fact, is a good case in point. Their on-demand, it's almost like uh, doubled or tripled in terms of utilization just this last year. They've consciously said we're going to shrink our fixed route to those areas where you can get high frequency routes. So, so the bus is really valuable for the people who want, really want to use that mode. And then they're, then they're flipping over and extending on demand for most of the exurban area. And then in combination with that, they've got the commuter rail. So they, they're they're really what I would call more a very representative emerging metropolitan agency.
0: I love it when people use the right kind of mobility provision in the right context. As you say, on a high frequency main corridor in and out of a town, fixed route bus, the geometry can't be beaten by anything else. A simple number of people that you can get on a vehicle, put it down a BRT route, it's going to beat pretty much everything else other than commuter rail and something dedicated like light rail. But when you get out into the boonies, or if you're late at night, People really need mobility options, and not all of those categories of people can pay for uh, their own private taxis every night. Uh, So many agencies are doing really nice things using not only the dial-a-ride services, but Uber and Lyft and some of the private ride owners to provide service at a much lower cost than it would have been to use one of their in-house shuttle services. True paratransit is, is a complex delivery. There's a lot
1: of scheduling considerations, a lot of very particular data points that are related to each rider. A couple of colleagues of mine have gotten involved in paratransit. And I've told them, I said, on-demand is complex. Paratransit is much more complex because it's so situational. And the tolerances for errors are really not, not high. So it's a different uh, situation. But uh, the point is, technology is really helping on, on all these fronts. And I've, I'm glad to see it. I, I know these small agencies really, when I say small agencies, I'm really talking about, you know, let's say in the States, the the Smaller communities and they serve the mid-sized markets like Kansas City. And there's an amazing amount of uh, smaller towns that have colleges. I was just just got back from New Hampshire. Uh, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, if there's a town, there's a college every one of those colleges got 2 or 3000 students and typically they don't uh, have cars when they're coming to school so you know they have their built in you know uh, ridership demand i ran into a actually where i grew up in the middle of the west ames iowa was the area iowa state university uh, they have a, a public bus system there and i i, and I looked at it, and it was uh, they were they were grossing about 7 million dollars and their fare box uh, cash fare box uh, was about 94000 And and that's very
0: representative. The college had cut a contract for $6 million. This is where account-based ticketing really comes into its own. We've had uh, a number of those sort of college-centric systems where instead of having to issue passes, we're just reusing the ID cards issued by the college to their students and tying their travel entitlements to their enrollments and departure dates without the agency the transit agency having to be involved in any media issuing at all huge savings and a really easy way to get all of the the, the ridership to to find that really easy because their one campus card is is covering everything and we've done it with veteran passes as well when we introduced
1: uh, mobile you know back in 2011-12 that time frame one thing I concluded was that we needed to to put everything we could on mobile. And when I looked at how many corporate passes we had, big employer passes, Texas Instruments, big universities, big medical complexes and so forth, if we didn't do that, we weren't going to get the numbers. We weren't going to get the utilization rates and the total counts that we needed to make this thing worthwhile. So that, for me, that was always a given that we, and and the employers were quick to say perfect because we were tired of handing out all these physical passes or working through technology on making you know, things link up. So it, it worked out well. And, you know, it's nothing, nothing about that's gotten worse. The, the other thing that I've noticed, which I, and uh, you guys have been actively involved in, and I'm seeing now that, that more and more uh, people are pushing for it on the agency side is to get digital validation, uh, not just visual, but also actual electronic validation at the validator with mobile. I know you guys you know, have done that uh, and we're working on
0: that several years ago. What I think has also come along that customers really love that is a, a cheaper delivery method is contactless EMV and open yeah. loop, both tapping your phone as an Apple Pay or Android Pay or tapping your bank card because... Across Europe, contactless bank cards have been issued for quite some time in the USA. That's now the rollout is, is really hitting the, uh, the mainstream. And that has the advantage of not really having an interface or a setup or a registration or yeah. uh, anything local. You can just turn up in any city and start tapping around and, and have that work. I was interested in a comment you made on the LinkedIn story where you were leaning in on the idea that closed cards, the kind of proprietary card, still was going to be A major or the main fair product, whereas the the European view very much is that uh, closed cards will become a a small niche for just a few concessionary and, and, and less standard user groups, whereas contactless EMV. Really will become the mainstream. And I, I was just wanting to understand a bit more about why you see the, the closed cards remaining mainstream rather than diminishing in the face of contactless EMV and open loop.
1: The- we did a lot of focus groups, and I've been, been involved with some others away from Dart. On this question again, from the writer standpoint, about what what is it that's important to them, and then what is it that's important to the agencies? The problem with open loop philosophically is that it gets in the way of the know your customer, know your writer. I mean, if you've got anonymous users uh, who are just uh, tapping on and, and playing, it takes some work to really figure out
0: if that's a regular writer. Rod. Uh, there's no question you can figure it out as you tokenize the cards. You're getting the same token every time a person rides around. And so you're figuring out if that's someone who's turned up for just a week-long visit and they've tapped around very easily, or if it's someone that they're doing it regularly.
1: You're you're figuring out that card 1234 is showing up regularly. You don't know who 1234 is. I don't have your phone number. I don't have your email. I don't have anything. So glad you visited. Glad you used. And, and I, you know, my observation, first of all, the technology is really not quite there. It's going to take a while in the States uh, to get the uniformity of platforms. But the second thing is, is that that particular convenience of just tapping and on is really good for an occasional rider of your system. Visitor from another town who's in for a sporting event or even somebody who didn't ride your system very much who uh, is going to a sporting event or some arts festival or something like that. Uh, that's a very convenient thing to do. And they don't really want to register. and They don't want you to know who they are because uh, they're not going to be around that much. And so they're not going to be looking for notices and all that. What we saw in the focus groups, and I saw this re- repeatedly, was that there's a lot of people who basically think about things in terms of I've got a transit account. My wife, my kids, we're all using it, and I kind of have a budget for how I'm using that. And I I really want to know who's got cards. I want to know how they're using the cards. That's a different issue than, again, for a lot of families, this came up repeatedly. The the two most frequent things that came up early on were the family account account question and uh, receipts <laughs> you know this years ago we didn't appreciate how important receipts were to a lot of people because uh, you know if if it's a dollar and a half they want to get reimbursed if it's a re- if they're eligible for it but my only point is is it's not that that's not a wonderful thing and and convenience and tapping and so forth but there's there's a lot of people for whom <clears throat> that really doesn't get them what they want if i want notices if i want to know about on time and all that sort of stuff I really don't want to have to flip between apps to do it. One of my criticisms of of WMATA and what they've just implemented with Apple, I like the implementation. It's a closed loop uh, using the Apple system for you load value in the card. You don't have to activate the phone, et cetera. you, You know the process. But it's cumbersome because you have to switch to another app to really look at schedules and you, and you actually have to switch to another app if you really want notifications that can't be purposeful i mean that can't be where they want that's not their end state they're going to solve that but so my only point is that there's an absolute role for a registration process and a know your customer program that benefit for loyalty purposes, rewards, there's a variety of things that, that offers you, you don't get with an anonymous system. Now, so anonymous is fine. Now, the take-up rate, and it's, it's really not fair to say the take-up rates are indicative of what's going on. Take-up rates uh, in, uh, in DART, for example, on open payment, even when it was purposely introduced during the state fair, were very low. And that's with a lot of notification, a lot of advertising, but that's because people are not used to even seeing it so let's let's give Europe props and say, "You are so far ahead of us on this you know you're you're a decade, maybe a generation ahead of us on the use of these cards, but there's a real place for closed loop registered cards that really focus on customer fulfillment and uh and customer facing solutions. My only point is I agree that convenience and contactless and so forth has a lot of merit. It's a great use for an occasional rider, and it's a great use for, for a regular rider if that's, you know, if they if they don't really have uh, different patterns, and, and you have frequency of service that's good enough that, frankly, you don't really worry about schedules all that much. I'm not, I'm not suggesting it's not a bad way to do things. Probably, it allows you to generate some back of the hand, uh, house standards that are a little bit more efficient as well so i'm I'm not arguing that I'm just saying that there is a role for a registered system in a closed not physically a closed ca- a card per se that's not really where my mind was in that but that was that's my argument i that if i i think that I can produce an experience for riders who prefer it, to give them a way to register, to give them uh, some benefits that
0: otherwise... I I don't disagree that some riders gain huge benefits from registering. I I wouldn't link those to the need for a closed card. I think that the closed card is a a different thing that's not Related well, to card, whether or not card card, card to me yeah. is an
1: evil concept. I don't like the word card because it, that that conjures up inventories. Uh, yes, it, exactly. You know, special yeah. purpose uh, facilities yeah. to warehouse these things, uh, distribution networks that you have to yeah. figure out. I do not like the idea of cards. I absolutely love the idea of relying yeah. on mean,
0: people's part. My my view going forward is that transit agency issued cards really should reduce down to for people that don't have smartphones, that don't have contactless bank cards, basically concession groups and the unbanked who don't have mobile phones or other ID cards. So it should be a kind of minority need to have the agency pay for inventory, pay for cards and customization and take the inventory and, and, and issue it to someone and do all the after service. And the vast majority of normally able people or people with phones and people with uh, bank cards, they should all be using their own media. And they can all choose to register it and have a more regular relationship with the agency if they're regular riders and gain the benefit. But uh, whether you're registered with the agency or not is, is is decoupled from whether or not you're using media that the agency paid for. And I think it's just getting out of that habit of of media issuing that should really help. And Whether it's paper, plastic, or cash, none of that
1: serves the agency or the writer very well. Getting to a digital uh, solution, uh, which relies therefore Either on uh, cars you already have, but offered by somebody else, or using your mobile platform. Clearly, that's where you want to keep your mindset. I agree with that, and and I've been talking to the Dart folks. I had purposely bought a inexpensive, least expensive, not inexpensive, The least expensive fare box that we could use with the expectation Mm -hmm. that we would phase them out. Didn't even want mag stripe on them. I would just make them single ride cash only, not issuing any paper or anything. And then hopefully they'll migrate away. Well, what's happened is, is that because of timing of things, paper tickets are continuing to be issued. And that's a bad thing because if you issue paper ticketing, in a fare box, on a bus, people are used to that. That's a behavior that they've gotten used to. Now you've got to wean them off of it. But, but paper, plastic, or cash, I'm not a fan uh, of any of those if they're, if they're agency-related.
0: Yeah, we definitely want to reduce inventory for the agency. You're listening to Transit Voices, boondoggle versus the underdog. One thing that I'd love to get your view on before we wrap up, in transit and in technology generally, there are always some technologies that get overhyped way beyond their ability to do useful things. And occasionally we see things that even though they've had pilots that haven't delivered well, they get a number more pilots and everybody does pilots of them and they still don't do very much. These are the boondoggles that, you know, occasionally we have to stand up and say, you know, the emperor's not wearing any clothes or this thing isn't ready yet, let it sit for a bit longer but there's also the underdogs, the, the, the unsung heroes, the bits of technology that are, are gradually getting a bit better and maybe need more prime time. So I'd love to, to, to hear your, your current pick from the hype cycle of what you'd call the boondoggle that needs to go away for a bit. Uh, and also your your, un, your underdog that you think needs a bit more airtime.
1: Well, in terms of a solution that I've seen that I really like, it's actually a, a passenger amenity solution. Basically, it's an addressable, battery-powered display uh, that can be mounted at bus stops uh, by the thousands. That's digitally addressable uh, to a particular zone or even to a particular pole. Because frankly, uh, uh, riders very often the first thing they do is they look up, and, and if there's a digital display and tells them if it's on time, next bus arriving, that sort of thing. I've, I've seen a couple uh, implementations that it's it's very very useful from a writer's perspective and i i like that as a product i think it's uh it just has to do all those things it, it Are those those wonderful
0: digital paper kind of e-ink things so it's not even a glowing display and it only takes yeah. a little bit of power when it updates yeah that's fantastic and it yeah they're really and, good and you there's no wiring no electric no no Wi-fi that's
1: uh, linked that's wired in it's it's all cellular and so forth i like that solution because of uh, the ease of deployment and the and the specific way it, it really addresses uh, rider interest in terms of you know now on the other hand it's got to be done thoughtfully in terms of boondoggles I see a lot of journeys down the road of AVL systems that they just don't seem i'm 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 not, I don't spend enough time in there, but I know how expensive they are. And I'm wondering if there isn't, a, I'm sure there's a better way to do it, as a matter of fact. So I I think perhaps they're trying to make these systems do something they're not supposed to do. So I've seen a lot of money spent there that I, I question. I, I wouldn't call it boondoggle.
0: I, I, they don't have good scope of what they're trying to make these things. On AVL, too. so do you take uh, AVL hardware or advanced AVL back office. Well,
1: I think it's I, I think the fact that you know you're dealing with hardware and you're dealing with software and the hardware manufacturers and these guys, most of these guys are coming from a hardware standpoint, and, as opposed to a software standpoint. People who are the software side come up with a very different way to do this than people who are on the, on the hardware side. And I wouldn't call it a boondoggle. I would just simply say, I, 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 I'm gonna guess that that's gonna get solved in a different way in the not too distant future.
0: Now in terms I, of- I kind of think that AVL is probably going to become not only commoditized, but rolled into one of the other devices that's already on the bus. I, 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 agree. I think that because of consumer level location services getting so much better, that yeah. any of those other microprocessor devices connected to the cloud, as long as you've got a, a commoditized on-roof GPS and maybe you know Wi-Fi based backup, yeah. those units are going to start to get to the point of reliability that you can just say, I'll have the the, the MDT or the, uh, the the validator will give me a good enough. Signal or for a yeah, for the, I, I, um, I,
1: the validator actually is going to, is increasingly powerful, and in the software that mm-hmm. integrates with it is you know, is it, you know, there's a lot of ways I could see it happening that way. A driver app, there's some you know in a tablet, there's some things are going on there. Uh, the, one of the things that to me is astounding is when you look at a bus and you start thinking about. You've got cameras now. That's seven to eleven cameras, per, you know, on a vehicle. You've you, you've got uh, cellular interfaces. You have got AVL. You've, you've got a variety of things. You have four to six antennas on a bus. That can't be a good solution. I mean, and and they're from vendors, different vendors. They're bolted on and literally hanging off of you know the side of
0: the dash. You know, you, you name it. You're, uh, you're singing from my song sheet, which is each of these has come along as a brand new tech, and they've all been created independently, and they're all connected to the cloud. They all need configuring for that bus and for that agency to know what they're doing and then get their own replacements and maintenance cycle. But then if you ever need the the driver terminal to speak to the CAD AVL, to speak to the validator, if ever one of those systems gets RFP'd and replaced or goes end of life at a different time to the others, you're repeating that multi-direction integration every single time because... Your CAD AVL might be the 2010 version uh, with an API from 2010. Your uh, MDT might be a 2015 unit with an API from that. And I wonder if we're going to see a lot more integration and commoditization where all of that will be one ITS solution for the bus with, with one major processor in there. And everything else is just a plug-in device. Right, Plug in a bunch of cameras, put a passenger counter in, the signed plug-in, and they're just peripherals. To one brain yeah, it's a, rather plus, than it, having 20 brains on the bus. Not a, all need not a new concept. It's not a new concept,
1: but it just hasn't been done very well. But it it's just it, you look at it and say, this can't possibly uh, stand. I mean, it, it's uh, it, there's gotta this we gotta evolve away from it. And you're exactly right. These things are bought at different times, different RFP procurement processes, so they're always a little bit out of sync you've got real maintenance issues uh, on the tech side when all the stuff comes in because it comes in at different times. Warranties, uh, programs are, are different mm. parts of all that. I think a couple of things. Number one, I think there's going to be fewer devices. They're going to figure out ways to do more with with uh, fewer uh, actual pieces of hardware. I think there'll be a more standardized, there has to be a more standardized kind of software and a uh, remote monitoring capability so you know what, what the health is uh, of the things that are on the buses. I think the cameras right now are probably the, the biggest problem because there's a lot of them, they're bandwidth hogs, uh, trying to figure out how to, how to accommodate them. I've noticed that cameras tend to, in some fleets, be the dominant winner on priorities. Uh, the bus is, uh, is right now a, a rolling hardware shop uh, of a bunch mm-hmm. of electronics of varying ages, but probably two or three generations old in terms of technology when you think, in fact, how, how quickly a hardware you know, evolves, four or five yard, you know, years, that's it.
0: Ben's Who's Who of Transit. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, before I let you go, on Transit Voices, we'd love to make sure that we not only uh, pick up and have conversations with people that we know and uh, know very well, but uh, also make sure we get suggestions for people who we should give a bit more airtime to. Have, have you got some names and voices that you think we should speak to in the future?
1: Well, I, I think the chief innovation officers as a team, a group are emerging in the U.S. that are doing some pretty interesting things. You know, in Dallas, they have Greg Ellsberg, a good uh, citizen of the UK that's uh, where he came from. Uh, very, very talented guy, and I, his name immediately comes off because it's directly on point. There are counterparts in most of the large agencies now, so I would be looking to the chief innovation officers as a group because I think they're they're probably most inclined to be, you know, looking at all these different issues.
0: Transit Voices with Ben Whitaker. Thank you so much to David for coming to speak to us today and share some of his experiences. Some of the points I really take away with me were his observations that some of the big systems integrators and product providers can be reluctant at times to accommodate integrations with other competing vendors. Uh, I do take uh, very much to heart his views on dematerializing and trying to use off-the-shelf equipment where possible, and also using the right kind of mobility, making better use of on-demand. One thing that really did also chime a bell with me was uh, saying how AVL might be ripe for more disruption. Maybe shared platform on AVL will reduce some of the expense of equipment and software in the space. Who knows? Anyway, looking further into savings, next time we're going to be speaking with Simon Laker from Consult Hyperion. Consult Hyperion have just completed a survey and a bit of research into the whole life cycle cost of fare collection, looking at the comparison between legacy delivery models on bespoke design build and on the new approach of shared software platforms. So if you want to find out more about that, tune in next time on Transit Voices. You've listened to Transit Voices, the podcast by transit nerds for transit nerds. Don't forget to subscribe to Transit Voices to keep up with the latest editions on your favorite podcast platform.